a second reading as we're following Moses is um, Exodus and uh, chapter 24. And that's page 83 in the Pew Bibles. The whole of chapter 24. Then God said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance. But Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses and Aaron, Nabab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they, are, they ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here. And I will give you, and the, give you the tablets of stone with their law and commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his assistant. And Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, wait here for us to return. Aaron and Hur are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. Did the Israelites, the glory of the Lord, look like a consuming fire on top of the mountain? Then Moses entered the cloud as he went on up the mountain. And he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Here ends the reading.
Good morning, everyone. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you have spoken to us most wonderfully in your word. And we pray as we turn to it that, Lord, you would help us to understand, bring to us what you would have us see. No change. Help us to be corrected, encouraged and strengthened, we ask, and keep me from error, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We, uh, we continue to in our book of Exodus, and I'm doing big bits. So, unfortunately, this is chapter 16 to 24, of which we've only just read chapter 24 a bit, haven't we? But you'll hopefully pick it up. If you've got a Bible, that might help, particularly if you turn to chapter 16 just before I get there. But I've even got a big idea today. I've even gone to that school. Here's a big idea. God has committed himself to us, to be with us in Jesus. And the appropriate response to that great mercy is obedience. God has invited his people here to be with him. It's uh, to be his personal treasure. Uh, there's a question, what will they do with it? Well, if we look at chapter 16 and 17, you'll see that God there is looking after his people. But it's in the context, firstly, uh, of always some interesting behavior. Firstly, manna and quail. You've heard of manna? There you go. And quail. No one talks about the quail too much, but it's very strange. Uh, verse 2 of chapter 16, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the Israelites uh, said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you brought us out in this desert to starve to death. Well, there you go. Wow. I still get wow when I read that stuff. It does feel a bit amazing. They look back at Egypt. The people look back at Egypt and they say, slavery, yeah, we had slavery, but at least we ate. Verse 4 to 8 of chapter 16 is how God answered, I will rain down from heaven for you, bread from heaven for you. The people had to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, they'll see whether they'll follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they're to go out and bring in twice as much because on the seventh day, they're meant to rest. That's how God answers that grumbling. Secondly, you see chapter 17, more grumbling, verse 2 and 3. The people were thirsty for water, verse 3, and they grumbled. Against Moses, they said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Again, wow, here we go again. Verse, God's answer, verse 5 and 6, go out in front of the people, Moses, take with you some of the elders of Israel, take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go, and I will stand before you by the rock of Horeb, strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people and for you to drink. So Moses did that and he called that place 
Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? So there's been an interesting dialogue with this where God has said, I will test them. And then the end, who is testing who here? It's actually the Israelites who are testing God. They grumble. And one of the great questions we might have as we read these two chapters at least is why does God bother? Are they worth it? We certainly can ask, do they appreciate it? But God provides, he cares, and he gives. And he has got a special purpose for them, which is our second point in Exodus 19, verses 1 to 6. I told you we're jumping. In the third month after Israel left Egypt, they came to the desert of Sinai, and after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there. Moses went up to God and the Lord called him to the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carry you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Obedience is often seen as being by some people, this is how you get into the kingdom of God. We're not doing the Ten Commandments, chapter 20, verses 23. I'm not going to talk about the ten words as they're known, and that will be an important thing to remember. Uh, These Ten Commandments, as we call them, are often seen by people, if you do them, you'll get in. Uh, Presbyterian ministers have said to me, that's how you get in. (laughs) It's happened. People have this idea. If you obey the Ten Commandments, you obey God's commandments, you'll get into God's kingdom. And that's what they think is happening here. I just wanted to assure you that that's actually missing the whole point. Is that the whole point from Genesis right through the Bible, but certainly Genesis in the five first books, is that it is God who had graciously continues to extend his hand in fellowship, to have a relationship. You remember quite clearly, I'm sure, God and we fell out with God in the garden. And really the whole story of the Bible is how God will reestablish and keep fellowship with humankind. It's God who graciously extends his hand to humanity. It's not the other way around, and it's certainly the truth here. God sought Abraham, not the other way around. Humanity has lots of gods and lots of ideas. God had to come and speak and to show himself and to reveal who he is. In Exodus God's promises to Abraham are the reason that we are here. It's the background. 
to the whole thing. Many of the passages in Exodus directly parallel the Genesis passages, which we don't have time to go through. It does so to make sure you don't miss the point that this is in fulfillment of what God has already promised to Abraham, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. God is rescuing a people, and this people, as we read, don't seem worth it. Their grumblings, their goings-on, it astounds us. But really, it actually reflects us. God proves himself faithful. Humanity proves itself faithless. I'm all over the place. And guess what? I know you are too. Why do I know that? Because Keith watches you 24 hours a day? No. It's because the Bible says so. (laughs) That's who you are. That's to be human. So please, if you think obeying when it says verse 5, 19, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, that's what you need to do to get into the kingdom of God. The whole point of all the Bible, but particularly these passages, reveals to us that the truth is Humanity won't keep his side of the covenant. Humans, men, women will not hold their end up. It is God who holds his end up and he keeps coming and revealing. He keeps providing. He keeps being graceful. God's people here in verse 19, chapter 5, are his treasured possession. They are God's. He has saved them, and it will be him who does it. His people are meant to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nations from chapter 19, verse 6. That, again, is a fulfilment of what God has said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. You remember that he said, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so God's people are to be a blessing. They are to be people who bring God's grace and mercy into the world. It shows us God's people are his, his and his alone. It brings great comfort. It brings great assurance and brings great confidence. Confidence in who? not on whether I can keep the Ten Commandments, ten words as we said, but rather that God will be truthful to his promises, faithful to all that he has said, and he will always be that way. Priests were meant to be mediators between God and people, and that's what we says he calls his people to be, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. As I said, God's plan for the Israelites and for his people are big. They bring blessing to the world. As God's people, they're special. They have a special role. God's character is revealed in the Ten Commandments, as we call them. 
but they are not that we earn it, but they are that we behave in that way as we are God's people. The horse and the cart. Do you know that saying? Don't put the horse before the... I always get that mixed up, horse, cart. Do you get that mixed up, Joyce? No. See, Joyce knows where the horse goes. Me, I'm all over the place. I've got the cart off to the side. The horse is over here. I don't know what I'm doing. We don't get the horse before the cart. God has given us how he wants us to live in reflection of his grace and mercy of being his people. Which brings us to the covenant. And I told you I was jumping a lot. That's my third point from Exodus 24. As you see in the covenant, God goes up and calls Moses. Verse 13, Moses went and told the people all the the Lord's words and laws. And by that, he means words. He means what we call the Ten Commandments and laws. We know that from Exodus 34. If you look at 34, I think it's verse 8. That is where what we call the Ten Commandments is said to be words. So it's when it says words, it's a big bit, it's not just little bits, and that's what it's meant. They responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses wrote down everything. He got up early next morning, built an altar, The foot of the mountain set up 12 stones at pillars, represented the 12 tribes of Israel, and then he sent Israelite men. They offered burnt offerings, sacrificed young bulls. Moses took half of the blood, put it in the bowls. The other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant, read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said we will obey. Verse 8. Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people. This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance of all these words. Here we have the words, the ten words spoken from chapter 20 to 23 and the commandments with them. They're given to the people and they respond not once but twice. Everything The Lord has said, verse 3, we will do. How do you respond to that? We've already seen how that will go, I think. But here it all is. There is a sacrifice and the blood, the blood of the covenant, the promise of what God will do for them and how they are to live. God allows his people to be in his presence, a real picture of that relationship restored from the garden where God walked. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain while Moses and Joshua met with God. On the seventh day, Moses was called from the cloud. The people saw a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Moses entered the cloud and stayed perhaps with Joshua, with 40 days and 40 nights. In this section, the grumblings have been a real hint of what is to come. We come back to the question, God has invited these people 
What will they do with that invitation? We're not really sure as we read. They've said, we will do everything. But what they have said and what they do, probably we wonder how that's going to go. We know the story, don't we? So you know already know what's going to happen. Will they decline this invitation? Will God actually pull it back, this invitation? This whole thing rolls on, as you know, through Exodus, but it actually rolls to the end of the Old Testament. What will humans do with God's loving invitation? And by the time we get to the New Testament, the answer is not much. The answer is we fail. The answer is they're like me. They're all over the place. The fact is they will not do what God has told them to do. They can't. That dilemma is answered by Paul in Romans 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. You know this next bit. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Romans 5.8, Christ died for us. We did one Peter 3, didn't we? We did one Peter. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive by the spirit. Here humans continually fall short. They're falling short in Exodus. It will be a pattern that will take for the rest of the Bible and particularly the New Testament as people come out of their old life, as God brings them out into his world and how he will empower them to live. Jesus was the obedient son we needed. Jesus Jesus was fully human, fully God. But being fully human, he lived perfectly in obedience, which we haven't seen in this chapter. And the truth is, when we look at our own life and the rest of the Bible, no one does either. But Jesus does. He lives obediently as God's son. He lives in direct relationship with our Father in heaven, his Father. His death, we're told in these verses, his death becomes the one true sacrifice. Just as there was a sacrifice here to establish a covenant, so Jesus' death and his blood establishes a covenant once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. The righteous is him The unrighteous is me. Uh, Think you too. Think you too. For God who said, let his light shine out of darkness, 2 Corinthians 4 says in verse 6, he made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of glory of God in the face of Christ. Jesus came to fulfill the covenant that was here And it always had to be done. But Jesus lived as God's son, obedient son, as Israel was not able to be obedient. 
As we are not able to be obedient, Jesus lived for us. That he would be a blessing to all nations and has called us to be his people. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We have a holy calling. It was the one that was given here and God still wants his people to be living in obedience to him, to fellowship with him, to worship him and to be a blessing to our world and to others. Romans 1.6, made us a kingdom, priest to God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Which means how are we to live? Romans 12, we read it. We live each day as a living sacrifice to pleasing him. It's our spiritual act of worship. We don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but we transform by the renewing of our minds. That renewing comes from his spirit. There's no accident that at Pentecost, as we call, there was on top of people's heads, you remember, there was what? There was fire. There's no accident that in the book we've just read, when God made his covenant with their people, God, their people looked and they saw the consuming fire. At Pentecost, what you're being told is God now makes his home in you. This God who is that consuming fire has chosen to make you, to make me, to make his people the place where he resides. 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. You are bought a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Exodus is a long time ago. But God in his faithfulness has committing himself to his people. That commitment has been fulfilled in Jesus. How are we to live? We live as living sacrifices, loving and pleasing him, honouring him, worshipping him, being a blessing to our world. It's the only appropriate response to his mercy. Let's pray. Gracious Father and Heavenly God, you have made us a special people. You made us in your grace and mercy in Jesus. We praise you and thank you for that. We are so thankful we don't have to be good enough to get into God, to get to you, to be in heaven. We're so thankful for that because we weren't going to make it. We don't make it. But, Lord, you have made it for us in Jesus. What a great gift you have given us, your love and your mercy in him. In him we have eternal life, eternal fellowship, a covenant that goes forever fulfilled and kept by him. In him we have life. In him you've you have given us your spirit 
in your spirit, you have reigned in us. We pray that you would transform our hearts and minds. Make us more like Jesus. Make us the people you want us to be in this world. Help us to be that to each other. Forgive us when we're not. We do pray. Again, renew us, strengthen us, and transform us as we live lives of glory to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.